what a blessing for me to be in this little part of the world. Um, and I know you all are not super excited about how much it rains, but I love the rain. From Abu Dhabi, it rains maybe one day, maybe a couple hours in that day, a year, uh, maybe two. It's a cloud seed. Uh, but so I am loving the rain, and it has been refreshing for my heart. And it has also been a joy to be at Gateway and to see, to get a small glimpse just in the little time I've been here of what God is doing through this church for the glory of His name. And it is encouraging my heart. Uh, This evening, we have a lot to cover. And so I am just going to jump right in. Um, Yeah, let me just jump right in. Psalm 88 end with this verse. And it is a pretty shocking ending to a psalm. It ends like this. Darkness is my closest friend. The Bible speaks deeply, directly, and honestly about our pain. The Bible speaks honestly about the troubles we face in this life. Jesus said in John 16:33, in the world you will have trouble. We hear in those words from Jesus that life is going to be hard. We can expect it. And one of the hardships that many face is when the darkness of depression descends, when it feels like darkness is your closest friend. So what can we do when that darkness descends on our lives? And how do we come alongside others with hope and help who walk in that darkness? That's what we want to consider this evening. There is so much that can be said about the experience of depression. This is really an introductory seminar that will hopefully provide some foundational truths to build upon in your understanding of this common struggle as we look at it through the lens of Scripture. So if you were to Google the top ten reasons people visit a doctor here in England, For a consult, depression, anxiety would land at number six. Other reasons in the top ten, diabetes, asthma, back problems, but on that list is depression. That's significant. This statistic alone should cause us to grab our Bibles and to see what is written there about this common human experience in order to understand what is happening and to see if we can find help and hope in the pages of Scripture. Because while life is hard, another important statement to make about life, another truth is that life is about God. We live before the God who created us, the maker of heaven and earth. And in life, we are all searching for purpose, we're searching for meaning, and we are searching for hope. And life is about God because He created us, And he is where we find purpose, meaning, and hope. What we believe about God and Christ matters when it comes to the deeper issues of the heart. All of us in this room have a theology. We all have beliefs about God. How we see his character, how we see his ways, how we see our identity in relation to him, and how we see and interpret the problems and the difficulties in our lives. Our theology matters. 
It matters to the mom of four kids, all under the age of six, who is in the, the throes of postpartum depression. And she's terrified of what she is capable of doing to her newborn baby. And she fears that she's never going to come out of this. It matters to the young man who feels worthless and started cutting himself to deal with the intensity of the feelings he's experiencing. It matters to the single woman who has hoped for years to be married and finds it difficult even to get out of bed and face another day alone. It matters to the man whose body is not what it used to be, who struggles with chronic pain that is a daily reminder of his frailty. What we believe about God, what we believe about his character and his ways matters in the day-to-day struggles that we endure. And it matters when that darkness of depression descends. Because knowing God is not just about acquiring information about God. It involves this transformation in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When we put our faith and trust in all that God promises for us himself. So, in our time together tonight, we're going to focus on three things. The first is understanding depression from a biblical perspective. The second is gospel hope for depression. And then the third is walking alongside others with others who are depressed with wisdom, compassion, and care. The path that we're walking on over these next couple of hours is a path towards hope. A lasting hope that endures through the depression. So here's the flow of our time this evening. Our first session is going to last for about 30 minutes. Uh, we'll take a short break about five, ten minutes, um, and then we'll come back and we'll have two other sessions that'll be shorter than the first. For those of you who think, oh my goodness, this isn't two hours, it'll get shorter each time, all right? All right, so let's begin with this question. What is depression? How do we define something that seems a bit hard to describe? Some will say that it is a persistent sadness. But if you have endured depression, especially severe depression, you might push back on that a little because it feels like much more than that. So let's start with some symptoms, some of the symptoms of depression. Difficulty concentrating, remembering details, making decisions, fatigue and decreased energy, feelings of hopelessness, insomnia or excessive sleeping, Irritability, restlessness, loss of interest in things that used to be enjoyable, overeating or loss of appetite, persistent aches or pains, headaches, cramps, digestive problems, feelings of guilt, of worthlessness, and or helplessness, a lack of concern about things that you used to be concerned about, persistent, sad, anxious, or empty feelings, thoughts of suicide or suicide attempt. When trying to understand depression and the symptoms, it's also important to note that there are degrees of depression. There is this spectrum of frequency and intensity. Frequency, how long does it last? Is it rare? Is it constant? Is it seasonal? Where does it land on the frequency spectrum? Intensity, is it mild or is it severe? Is it just a few of the symptoms or many of the symptoms? Looking at symptoms, though, doesn't really answer the question, does it? What is depression? 
So let's take this a bit further. A good question to ask is how does depression feel? How do those who have walked this path describe their experience? It is persistent and it is perplexing. And if you haven't experienced it before, this is going to help you understand it a bit better. And if you have experienced it, I hope that this helps you to see that others have walked this path. You are not alone in this. So how does depression feel? Three of the most common descriptions are numbness, darkness, and heaviness. Numbness, this lack of feeling much of anything. Your emotions are just flat, apathy, darkness. It feels like darkness has descended over you, and you can't escape it, even though you try. Heaviness. Being weighed down, it can feel hard to even physically put one foot in front of another. There's this overall feeling of just being overwhelmed in life. Thinking of doing even the most basic task is overwhelming. I was counseling a woman a while ago, and I was dropping her off at her apartment trying to encourage her before she got out of the car, knowing how heavy the depression was feeling for her at that moment. You could see it. The way she moved, how she talked. It was thick, and it was so hard. And she said this to me before she got out of the car. I wish people just understood how hard it is right now to do the smallest thing. It felt just so overwhelming for her. So let's take this even a little bit deeper. I'm going to read a portion of a poem, and this is written by a Christian woman. And what she is describing is startling because she is so honest. She puts words to the thoughts and feelings that come when the darkness descends. This poem describes her experience in the darkness and then when the darkness lifts. Let me read a portion of her poem. I weep because I live in a deep, dark hole with no bottom. I weep because I am so tired and cannot sleep. I weep because my mind cannot concentrate. I weep because I cannot find God. I weep because, is there a God? I weep because I am angry. I weep because I am angry with God. I weep because no one understands. I weep because I feel guilty. I weep because I feel nauseous. I weep because my arms are so heavy. I weep because the Bible is just black words on white pages. I weep because the promises cannot be renewed. I weep because I need to take medication. I weep because I cannot make a cake for my boss. I weep because I am disappointing my loved ones. I weep because I am crazy. I weep because I cannot stop wringing my hands. I weep because I don't want to live. I weep because I don't want to die. I weep because you think I was mean. I weep because it hurts so bad. Will it ever go away? And then when the darkness lifts, I rejoice because the world is filled with sunshine. I rejoice because I fall into a peaceful sleep. I rejoice because my mind can think four good thoughts at once. I rejoice because God holds me every minute. I rejoice because God forgives anger. I rejoice because God forgives anger directed at him. I rejoice because people are so caring. I rejoice because Christ carries my grief. I rejoice because my arms love activity. I rejoice because every promise is for me. I rejoice because God has provided medication for me. 
I rejoice because I can make a cake from scratch and frosting too. I rejoice because my loved ones love me. I rejoice because I want to live each day for the glory of God. I rejoice because I am mine. I rejoice because by God's grace, I give glory. This poem helps us to understand when the darkness of depression descends and when it lifts and lights its hand. It helps us to see that depression affects us physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And to see that Christians do experience depression, there can be at times a shame attached to depression within the church. And it just shouldn't be that way. Brother, a brother and sister who is struggling with depression shouldn't walk this path alone. Ed Welch, a biblical counselor, writes this, It is a myth that faith is always smiling. It is a myth. As Christians, we're not immune to the pain and loss experienced in this fallen world. We are not immune to this experience of depression. Depression is painful, and it is a form of suffering. So what are some of the causes of depression? There are many potential causes and contributing factors. Sometimes it's difficult to identify what is causing someone's depression, but whether or not we can identify the causes, that doesn't change where we find true and lasting hope in the darkness. One thing is certain, you can expect that there is more than one cause more than one contributing factor, more than one thing going on. So let's look at just four categories, break them into four categories with causes and contributing factors in each of those categories. The first is that is biological, physical, our bodies. Second Corinthians 4.16 says this, Though our outer self, our body, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our bodies are weak. They're deteriorating, especially when we reach a certain age. We experience illness and disease. The body is wasting away. And there are various potential contributing factors here. So let me just share just a few. The list could go on and on. Thyroid disorders, sleep apnea, diabetes, hormonal imbalance, heart disease, the effects of aging, your menstrual cycle. There can be side effects to prescription and non-prescription medications that can impact our mood. And the list could go on and on. And what about neglecting our bodies? Stress, diet, lack of sleep, or exercise, or overwork. So if someone is experiencing just depressive feelings that persist, it's wise to go to the doctor. It's wise to get some blood work done to see if there's anything happening in your body that is directly impacting your mood. Something else to note here about how God has created us, we all, we know this, we all have different temperaments. Do you all remember children's books, the cartoon, Winnie the Pooh? Winnie the Pooh, all right. In Winnie the Pooh, there are two characters. Some personalities are more like happy-go-lucky, super positive, full of energy, wake up on the right side of the bed every single day. And then some are more like you. Less energetic, more pessimistic, realistic, I like to say. The songs of his life are in a minor key, slower. Even Eeyore's speech goes at a slower pace than Tigger. Does your temperament lean more towards Tigger 
or does the temperament mean no good to you? Temperament can play a part. There are physical realities, is the question. The second category is situational, difficult circumstances, job loss, past trauma, financial burdens, what's happening in our lives impacts us, particularly when there is loss a loss of something important, a loss of something we value, of something that we treasure. The third category is relational, other people. Brokenness of relationships. There are three common relational themes that can be connected to to depression. Rejection, betrayal, and judgment. And then there can be unresolved conflict or a loss of a relationship, divorce, or even death. Again, loss tends to be a theme with depression. Listen to these words in Psalm 55. This is a psalm of David. In verse 4 of Psalm 55, David writes, My heart is in anguish within me. This anguish that he is experiencing is connected to other people and what they are doing to him. And then in verse 12 of Psalm 55, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. His speech, this familiar friend, was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawing sore. David has been betrayed by a close friend whose deceptively smooth and soft words were drawn towards intended to hurt. Betrayal or rejection of those closest to us can bring with it significant sorrow. And if not addressed in our hearts, can linger long, especially if we rehearse over and over in our minds the words spoken, the betrayal experience. Then moving on to the fifth or the fourth category, spiritual. Directly or indirectly, spiritual issues are always there. Ed Welch writes this: depression is always spiritual in that it always directs our attention to the most important matters of human life. So let's now consider some spiritual realities. Here are four spiritual realities. The first is this, we are embodied souls. How the Bible describes human beings is that we are both physical, our flesh and blood, and we are spiritual. And the the Bible uses words like heart or soul, mind, inner self to mean the same thing. It's the core of who we are. Back to 2 Corinthians 4.16, though our outer self physically is wasting away, our inner self spiritually is being renewed day by day. And then in Matthew ten twenty eight, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. We are embodied souls. The second spiritual reality is that the effects of the fall in Genesis three are felt on the whole person, body and soul. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, which led to both spiritual and physical effects of the fall, which leads us right into the third spiritual reality. We live in a broken world. Romans 8, verses 22 and 23. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We see this repeated word here, this word groan. When we think of that word, it's often connected to pain. It's when words fail because of the intensity of what we're experiencing. Here in Romans 8, creation groans and we groan, even as Christians who've experienced the first fruits of the Spirit. We've tasted some of the sweetness of our salvation, but not the fullness of it yet. We also experience sorrow, loss, and death in this broken world because of the fall. When we assume that as followers of Christ, our feelings, our emotional experience should just always stay at this certain level of happiness, we aren't seeing life through the lens of Scripture. We aren't seeing life through the lens of Genesis 3 and Romans 8. So when something depressing or sad happens, it's an accurate response to feel depressed or sad. But the story doesn't end with brokenness. We have hope. We have a present hope and a future hope. Romans 8 points us to a time coming, the redemption of our bodies. Another spiritual reality is that we have an adversary at work. 1 Peter 5.8 says that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The enemy is at work in the lies that depression speaks. So all that I've said so far about the causes and contributing contributing factors to depression doesn't remove personal responsibility. Scripture is clear that we are embodied souls that live in a broken world and we have an adversary, but we also make choices of how we respond to life in this world. Sometimes depression can be connected to guilt and shame from our own sin. King David, in the Old Testament, after sleeping with another man's wife and ordering that man to be positioned at the front line so that he would die, initially kept his sins hidden, unconfessed. Listen to his words in Psalm 32.3. For when I kept silent, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. King David's sin left hidden and unconfessed was causing this turmoil, and he felt it even in his body. Sometimes the guilt and shame of the hidden sin can contribute to the darkness of depression. But listen to these words of hope from our God. First John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Another thing to consider about how we respond to our circumstances, often depression is connected to misplaced shame. Something or someone you hoped in has failed you. The job you thought would be a career changer has been a dead end. The marriage you thought would fill the emptiness and the loneliness is much harder than you anticipated. The diet plan hasn't produced the results you wanted. The friendship has ended. Something or someone that we've hoped in has failed us. 
And if you're taking notes, write these words, four words down, just something to consider in your own heart. If only I had. If only I had. Then I would be happy. Then I wouldn't be so depressed. Then I would be satisfied, fulfilled. Life would be good. If only I had. How would you finish that sentence? What often happens with depression is that we have placed our hope in something that we were never supposed to place so much hope in. The seed of joy grows in the soil of a heart that knows what is true about our lives in this world. This all is temporary. This world is not our home. We are on this journey that doesn't end here. And there's a day coming for all who put their hope in Christ when God will wipe away every tear. When there will be no more groaning, no more sorrow, no more loneliness, no more pain. The depressed heart needs an eternal hope. A hope that reaches beyond this brokenness. And praise be to God that we have an eternal hope. So now let's let's look at our hearts. Let's look at our hearts through the lens of Scripture. The Bible provides a full, rich description of the heart. The word heart is used over 700 times in Scripture. God speaks about our hearts. The heart is described as the source of all human motivation. So what does Scripture mean by that word heart? There are three interrelated functions of our hearts. The first is cognition, what we think, what we believe, what we know. The second is our affections or our desires, what we want, what we treasure, our emotions, our feelings. And the third is volition, our will, our intentions, how we choose to act, thinking, desiring, choosing. The heart thinks. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The heart desires, the heart fears. Proverbs 13.12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but its desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And the heart chooses and acts. Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We choose what we say and do, and those choices come from the heart. So in order to begin to understand why someone is overwhelmed with depressive feelings, we must look at the heart. In order to bring gospel hope and help, we've got to target the heart. Because lasting change happens in the heart. Whether or not our circumstances change, change is possible. The heart of depression is a thinking, desiring, choosing heart. And I want to challenge you here to be a student of your own heart here. There are things to learn about our heart, whether or not you struggle with depression. So the first thing I want to say about the heart is that the heart of depression interprets. The heart of depression interprets. What you believe and what you think leads to interpretations. We're not neutral in our lives as things happen, as if we're just kind of taking in facts. We interpret or we evaluate what is happening in our lives constantly. We're trying to make sense of it all. So let me give you an example. At work, a woman's boss critiques her work on a project. 
Some of it was really positive, but some of it was critical, pointing out what she needs to improve on for the next project. She drives home from work that night, and here are the thoughts playing over in her mind as she thinks back to that conversation. I am so worthless. I can't do anything. I shouldn't even go back to work tomorrow. My boss must think I am so incompetent and such a loser. She's interpreting that critique on her job performance, and she is attaching it to her identity. Worthless, incompetent, loser. She feels like she has failed before the eyes of another, before her boss. One spiritual reality that can be present in depression is when the opinion of others grows so large in our minds, shrinking down the opinion of God. Living before the eyes of others is an exhausting way to live. The fear of man can be a companion to depression. This woman then took those thoughts on repeat in her mind. They are familiar to her. This is a well-worn path in her mind. She's been down it many times before. So she calls in sick to work early the next morning and doesn't get out of bed for the next three days. We all have our own well-worn paths in our minds, thoughts, and beliefs. We're all interpreting what is happening to us, trying to make sense of the things in this world. Here, again, is where our theology matters. The way you see God, the way you see your circumstances, the way you see yourself matters. So here's a question for us to consider. Is the authority our feelings, our interpretation? Or is the authority the Word of God? Is what we feel and think, I am worthless, comes up against the Word of God, which says you are a child of God, and you are called to live now for the glory of His name, which brings so much purpose and so much meaning to life. Are we more committed to our interpretation, to our feelings, or will we live Or will we in humility say, I don't feel this right now? I don't understand how this can even be true with the things that I've gone through. But God, your word is true. Will your feelings have the last word? Or will the word of God have that last say? So often with depression, our interpretation has that last say. The second thing about our hearts Our emotions are a reflection of how we are interpreting what is happening around us. So let's consider now, let's look at Numbers 14. In the Old Testament, the Lord has given us details in a story of the Israelites that are so helpful in understanding what happens in the heart when circumstances come at us that aren't what we want or what we expect. So again, I want to encourage you to be a student of your own heart here. So before we get to Numbers 14, we're going to look at Numbers 13, verse 1, for the context. Numbers 13, verse 1 says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. So here's what's happening, the context. The Israelites had been miraculously freed from slavery in Egypt by God. The Lord had faithfully delivered them, as he had promised he would. So the spies now went out to check out the land that God promised to give them, and they came back with a mixed report. The land 
but the people in the land are huge. We are like grasshoppers compared to them. They are powerful, and they're going to crush us under their feet. And then in chapter 4, after the spies gave that report to all the people, here's how the people respond to that. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Verse 11, and the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? Clearly, what they expected to happen once they reached the land that God had promised is not happening the way they intended. And the question I had for this text when I was looking at it is, what are they desiring? What do they want here? They want their wives and their children to live. That's a good desire. But then we see the intensity of this emotional response of the people. They wept, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron and against God. God isn't giving them what they want and how and when they want it. Heart motives are revealed when life gets hard, when the heat of our circumstances is cranked up in our lives, when, we, when what we want, what we desire, what we worship, what we think will make us happy is threatened. When something threatens to come in between us and what we think we need, what is our heart response? Anger, depression, anxiety? So here are some questions to consider the motives of our hearts. These are questions from a little booklet by Ed Welch. What are times when life doesn't seem worth living? What do you love? What do you hate? What are your dreams? What do you fear? What do you worry about? What do you feel you need? Where do you find refuge, comfort, pleasure, or security? What defines success or failure to you? Where do you believe that God has let you down? When do you get depressed? What do you see as your rights? When do you get angry? These questions can help us look closer at depression or other deeper issues in our heart to get past the symptoms to the heart. And if you're writing things down again, I want you to write these two words down. Desire and demand. Desire and demand. We were created to desire. But here's what happens so often in our hearts with what we desire, even when we desire good things. Maybe it's to have a healthy body, to get married, for a deep friendship, to last. Something can happen in our hearts without even realizing it. The desire moves from this open-handed desire to a demand that we hold tightly to. Because now you don't just desire it, you think and you feel like you need it. And the need produces all these expectations around it. And the expectations aren't met. Paul Tripp writes this, If you are convinced 
that what you desire is a need. You will think you are entitled to it. You will be convinced that you have the right to demand it. And you will judge God's love by his willingness to deliver it. And when he doesn't deliver it, or it isn't what you thought it would be, then there is disappointment, anger, depression that can follow. When our desires move from this open-handed desire before the Lord to a white-knuckled, closed-fist demand, what our heart response reveals is what we are putting our trust in, what we are placing our hope in. Depression, as Welch writes, regardless of causes, is a time to answer the deepest, most important questions. Whom do you trust? Whom do you worship? And whether we can identify the causes of depression or not, our path towards hope starts with what with understanding what's happening in our heart, our thoughts, our desires, our choices, to be students of our own heart. And knowing that with depression, there usually is this feeling of loss, of something we've desired, something we've put our hope in that has failed. And once we identify what we are desiring, what we think we need, what we are putting our hope in, that is a starting point. I'm going to end our first session with one other spiritual reality that we haven't touched on yet. Nothing touches our lives apart from God's sovereign, loving, and gracious grace. Nothing. So when the darkness of depression descends, if we are in Christ, here is a promise, a rock to stand on. Romans 8, 28. And we know for those that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In this verse, we see hope. We see hope. See that word? Even in the darkness, God's loving, sovereign hand is at work. And what is he doing? He is conforming us to the image of his son, even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it. The sovereign love of a God who promises to take even the most difficult and dark experience of our lives and in a miraculous way to be at work even in that for our good. This promise is a rock to stand on when the storm of depression descends. We're going to pause right here and, and take a short break. And we're going to return. We'll step back on this path towards hope, which is going to take us into the Psalms. So it'll be good for a, a ten minutes. I'm not sure on I'm not good with time breaks. So I think ten minutes should be fine. So is that good? Ten minute break? All right. Ten minutes, get up, stretch, and we'll come back in ten minutes.